Section 1 of Geronimo's Story of His Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Geronimo's Story of His Life by Geronimo. Transcribed by S. M. Barrett and translated by Asa Deklugi. Section 1 part one of the apaches chapter one origin of the apache indians in the beginning the world was covered with darkness there was no sun no day the perpetual night had no moon or stars there were however all manner of beasts and birds among the beasts were many hideous nameless monsters as well as dragons lions tigers wolves foxes, beavers, rabbits, squirrels, rats, mice, and all manner of creeping things, such as lizards and serpents. Mankind could not prosper under such conditions, for the beasts and serpents destroyed all human offspring. All creatures had the power of speech and were gifted with reason. There were two tribes of creatures, the birds or the feathered tribe, and the beasts, the former were organized under their chief, the eagle. These tribes often held councils, and the birds wanted light admitted. This the beasts repeatedly refused to do. Finally, the birds made war against the beasts. The beasts were armed with clubs, but the eagle had taught his tribe to use bows and arrows. The serpents were so wise that they could not all be killed. One took refuge in a perpendicular cliff of a mountain in Arizona, and his eye, changed into a brilliant stone, may be seen in that rock to this day. The bears, when killed, would each be changed into several other bears, so that the more bears the feathered tribe killed, the more there were. The dragon could not be killed either, for he was covered with four coats of horny scales, and the arrows would not penetrate these. One of the most hideous, vile monsters, nameless, was proof against arrows. So the eagle flew high up in the air with a round white stone and let it fall on this monster's head, killing him instantly. This was such a good service that the stone was called sacred. A symbol of this stone is used in the tribal game of Ka. They fought for many days, but at last the birds won the victory. After this war was over, although some evil beasts remained, the birds were able to control the councils, and light was admitted. Then mankind could live and prosper. The eagle was chief in this good fight, therefore his feathers were worn by man as emblems of wisdom, justice, and power. Among the few human beings that were yet alive was a woman who had been blessed with many children, but these had always been destroyed by the beasts. If by any means she succeeded in eluding the others, the dragon, who was very wise and very evil, would come himself and eat her babes. After many years a son of the rainstorm was born to her, and she dug for him a deep cave. The entrance to this cave she closed, and over the spot built a campfire. This concealed the babe's hiding place and kept him warm. 
every day she would remove the fire and descend into the cave where the child's bed was to nurse him then she would return and rebuild the campfire frequently the dragon would come and question her but she would say i have no more children you have eaten all of them when the child was larger he would not always stay in the cave for he sometimes wanted to run and play once the dragon saw his tracks now this perplexed and enraged the old dragon for he could not find the hiding place of the boy but he said that he would destroy the mother if she did not reveal the child's hiding place the poor mother was very much troubled she could not give up her child but she knew the power and cunning of the dragon therefore she lived in constant fear soon after this the boy said he wished to go hunting the mother would not give her consent she told him of the dragon the wolves and the serpents but he said to-morrow i go at the boy's request his uncle who was the only man then living made a little bow and some arrows for him and the two went hunting the next day they trailed the deer far up the mountain and finally the boy killed a buck his uncle showed him how to dress the deer and broil the meat they broiled two hind quarters one for the child and one for his uncle when the meat was done they placed it on some bushes to cool just then the huge form of the dragon appeared the child was not afraid but his uncle was so dumb with fright that he did not speak or move the dragon took the boy's parcel of meat and went aside with it he placed the meat on another bush and seated himself beside it then he said this is the child i have been seeking boy you are nice and fat so when i have eaten this venison i shall eat you the boy said no you shall not eat me and you shall not eat that meat so he walked over to where the dragon sat and took the meat back to his own seat the dragon said i like your courage but you are foolish what do you think you could do well said the boy i can do enough to protect myself as you may find out then the dragon took the meat again and then the boy retook it four times in all the dragon took the meat and after the fourth time the boy replaced the meat he said dragon will you fight me the dragon said yes in whatever way you like the boy said i will stand one hundred paces distant from you and you may have four shots at me with your bow and arrows provided that you will then exchange places with me and give me four shots good said the dragon stand up then the dragon took his bow which was made of a large pine tree he took four arrows from his quiver they were made of young pine tree saplings and each arrow was twenty feet in length he took deliberate aim but just as the arrow left the bow the boy made a peculiar sound and leaped into the air immediately the arrow was shivered into a thousand splinters and the boy was seen standing on the top of a bright rainbow 
over the spot where the dragon's aim had been directed. Soon the rainbow was gone, and the boy was standing on the ground again. Four times this was repeated. Then the boy said, Dragon, stand here. It is my time to shoot. The dragon said, All right. Your little arrows cannot pierce my first coat of horn, and I have three other coats. Shoot away. The boy shot an arrow, striking the dragon just over the heart, and one coat of the great horny scales fell to the ground. The next shot another coat, and then another, and the dragon's heart was exposed. Then the dragon trembled, but could not move. Before the fourth arrow was shot, the boy said, Uncle, you are dumb with fear. You have not moved. Come here, or the dragon will fall on you. His uncle ran toward him. Then he sped the fourth arrow with true aim, and it pierced the dragon's heart. With a tremendous roar, the dragon rolled down the mountainside, down four precipices into a canyon below. Immediately storm clouds swept the mountains, lightning flashed, thunder rolled, and the rain poured. When the rainstorm had passed, far down in the canyon below they could see fragments of the huge body of the dragon lying among the rocks, and the bones of this dragon may still be found there. This boy's name was Apache. Usen taught him how to prepare herbs for medicine, how to hunt, and how to fight. He was the first chief of the Indians, and wore the eagle's feathers as the sign of justice, wisdom, and power. To him and to his people, as they were created, Usen gave homes in the land of the West. Chapter 2 Subdivisions of the Apache Tribe The Apache Indians are divided into six sub-tribes. To one of these, the Badonkahe, I belong. Our tribe inhabited that region of mountainous country which lies west from the east line of Arizona and south from the headwaters of the Gila River. East of us lived the Chehene, Ojo Caliente, Hot Springs Apaches. Our tribe never had any difficulty with them. Victoria, their chief, was always a friend to me. He always helped our tribe when we asked him for help. He lost his life in the defense of the rights of his people. He was a good man and a brave warrior. His son, Charlie, now lives here in this reservation with us. North of us lived the White Mountain Apaches. They were not always on the best of terms with our tribe, yet we seldom had any war with them. I knew their chief, Hashkayala, personally, and I considered him a good warrior. Their range was next to that of the Navajo Indians, who were not of the same blood as the Apaches. We held councils with all Apache tribes, but never with the Navajo Indians. However, we traded with them and sometimes visited them. To the west of our country ranged the Chiahen Apaches. They had two chiefs within my time, Cosito and Kodahoya. They were friendly but not intimate with our tribe. South of us lived the Chiconan, Chiricahua Apaches, whose chief in the old days was Cochise, 
and later his son Naichi. This tribe was always on the most friendly terms with us. We were often in camp and on the trail together. Naichi, who was my companion in arms, is now my companion in bondage. To the south and west of us lived the Netanai Apaches. Their chief was Ho, called by the Mexicans Capitan Ho. They were our firm friends. The land of this tribe lies partly in old Mexico and partly in Arizona. Ho and I often camped and fought side by side as brothers. My enemies were his enemies, my friends his friends. He is dead now, but his son Asa is interpreting this story for me. Still, the four tribes, Badonkahe, Chikonan, Chihen, and Netnai, who were fast friends in the days of freedom, cling together as they decrease in number. Only the destruction of all our people would dissolve our bonds of friendship. We are vanishing from the earth, yet I cannot think we are useless, or Yusin would not have created us. He created all tribes of men, and certainly had a righteous purpose in creating each. For each tribe of men Yusin created, he also made a home. In the land created for any particular tribe, he placed whatever would be best for the welfare of that tribe. When Yusin created the Apaches, he also created their homes in the west. He gave to them such grain, fruits, and game as they needed to eat. To restore their health when disease attacked them, he made many different herbs to grow. He taught them where to find these herbs and how to prepare them for medicine. He gave them a pleasant climate, and all they needed for clothing and shelter was at hand. Thus it was in the beginning. The Apaches and their homes, each created for the other by Yusin himself. When they are taken from these homes, they sicken and die. How long will it be until it is said, There are no Apaches? Chapter 3 Early Life I was born in Nadoyan Canyon, Arizona, June 1829. In that country, which lies around the headwaters of the Gila River, I was reared. This range was our fatherland. Among these mountains our wigwams were hidden. The scattered valleys contained our fields. The boundless prairies stretching away on every side were our pastures. The rocky caverns were our burying places. I was fourth in a family of eight children four boys and four girls. Of that family, only myself, my brother Porico, White Horse, and my sister Nadazzi are yet alive. We are held as prisoners of war in this military reservation, Fort Sill. As a babe, I rolled on the dirt floor of my father's teepee, hung in my tso, Apache name for cradle, at my mother's back, or suspended from the bough of a tree. I was warmed by the sun, rocked by the winds, and sheltered by the trees as other Indian babes. When a child, my mother taught me the legends of our people, taught me of the sun and sky, the moon and stars, the clouds and storms. She also taught me to kneel and pray to Yusin for strength, health, wisdom, and protection. We never prayed against any person, but if we had aught against any individual, we ourselves took vengeance. 
we were taught that Usen does not care for the petty quarrels of men. My father had often told me of the brave deeds of our warriors, of the pleasures of the chase, and the glories of the warpath. With my brothers and sisters I played about my father's home. Sometimes we played at hide-and-seek among the rocks and pines. Sometimes we loitered in the shade of the cottonwood trees, or sought the shaddock, a kind of wild cherry, while our parents worked in the field. Sometimes we played that we were warriors. We would practice stealing upon some object that represented an enemy, and in our childish imitation often perform the feats of war. Sometimes we would hide away from our mother to see if she could find us, and often, when thus concealed, go to sleep and perhaps remain hidden for many hours. When we were old enough to be of real service, we went to the field with our parents, not to play, but to toil. When the crops were to be planted, we broke the ground with wooden hoes. We planted the corn in straight rows, the beans among the corn, and the melons and pumpkins in irregular order over the field. We cultivated these crops as there was need. Our field usually contained about two acres of ground. The fields were never fenced. It was common for many families to cultivate land in the same valley and share the burden of protecting the growing crops from the destruction by the ponies of the tribe or by deer and other wild animals. Melons were gathered as they were consumed. In the autumn, pumpkins and beans were gathered and placed in bags or baskets. Ears of corn were tied together by the husks and then the harvest was carried on the backs of ponies up to our homes. Here the corn was shelled, and all the harvest stored away in caves or other secluded places to be used in winter. We never fed corn to our ponies, but if we kept them up in the winter time, we gave them fodder to eat. We had no cattle or other domestic animals except our dogs and ponies. We did not cultivate tobacco, but found it growing wild. This we cut and cured in autumn, but if the supply ran out, the leaves from the stalks left standing served our purpose. All Indians smoked, men and women. No boy was allowed to smoke until he had hunted alone and killed large game, wolves and bears. Unmarried women were not prohibited from smoking, but were considered immodest if they did so. Nearly all matrons smoked. Besides grinding the corn by hand with stone mortars and pestles for bread, we sometimes crushed it and soaked it, and after it had fermented made from this juice a tiswin, which had the power of intoxication, and was very highly prized by the Indians. This work was done by the squaws and children. When berries or nuts were to be gathered, the small children and the squaws would go in parties to hunt them, and sometimes stay all day. When they went any great distance from camp, they took ponies to carry the baskets. I frequently went with these parties, and upon one of these excursions a woman named Chicoli got lost from the party, and was riding her pony through a thicket in search of her friends. Her little dog was following as she slowly made her way through the thick underbrush and pine trees. All at once a grizzly bear rose in her path and attacked the pony. She jumped off, and her pony escaped, but the bear attacked her, so she fought him the best she could with her knife. Her little dog, 
by snapping at the bear's heels and detracting his attention from the woman, enabled her for some time to keep pretty well out of his reach. Finally, the grizzly struck her over the head, tearing off almost her whole scalp. She fell, but did not lose consciousness, and while prostrate struck him four good licks with her knife, and he retreated. After he had gone, she replaced her torn scalp and bound it up as best she could. Then she turned deathly sick and had to lie down. That night her pony came into camp with his load of nuts and berries, but no rider. The Indians hunted for her, but did not find her until the second day. They carried her home, and under the treatment of their medicine men, all her wounds were healed. The Indians knew what herbs to use for medicine, how to prepare them, and how to give the medicine. This they had been taught by Usen in the beginning, and each succeeding generation had men who were skilled in the art of healing. In gathering the herbs, in preparing them, and in administering the medicine, as much faith was held in prayer as in the actual effect of the medicine. Usually about eight persons worked together in making medicine, and there were forms of prayer and incantations to attend each stage of the process. Four attended to the incantations, and four to the preparation of the herbs. Some of the Indians were skilled in cutting out bullets, arrowheads, and other missiles with which warriors were wounded. I myself have done much of this, using a common dirk or butcher knife. Small children wore very little clothing in winter and none in the summer. Women usually wore a primitive skirt which consisted of a piece of cotton cloth fastened about the waist and extending to the knees. Men wore breechcloths and moccasins. In winter they had shirts and leggings in addition. Frequently when the tribe was in camp, a number of boys and girls by agreement would steal away and meet at a place several miles distant, where they could play all day free from tasks. They were never punished for these frolics, but if their hiding places were discovered, they were ridiculed. End of Part 1 of the Apaches